Hordel and Kuhn Center presents Calvin, Lorna, Mora, Bjarna by Mickey Blanco. Bergen, Norway, early November. I met Anders, a heavy set blonde Norwegian man of about, I'd say, 50, at the only gay bathhouse located in Bergen, Norway, Tropic Sauna, tucked away next to a small veterinarian clinic. It was a 20-kilometer bike ride from Halverson Hell Farm, but I didn't care. I had been seeking for any way to escape that farm and had looked the sauna up on Google days before. Days before Bjarne's confession to Mara about the two of us. Days before Lorna's betrayal about my status and the baby. And now here I was, in this moment, stealing Bjarne's bike from the barn, speeding as fast as I could the entire way in the night. Lorna. Mora and Bjarna all sound asleep. Me, guided only by the moonlight and the sound of Siri doling out directions on the roadway. It took about an hour and thirty minutes, but I got there. Tropic Sauna was a dingy hole in the wall, a small place, but quite long and dark, except for the glow of Danish VHS-era gay porn flickering on two cheap flat-screen TVs, and one sign that said, Sex melamin, tid for helstek. In the front room, there was a very long leather cushion-top bar. The first half of the bar used for drinking and conversation, the second half I could only assume for one's body to be straddled atop. It was late Friday night, 2.30 in the morning, and upon entry, it seemed like the place was littered with a small cluster of closeted Middle Eastern immigrants speaking a language I couldn't quite decipher. A few middle-aged Norwegian men, who all looked married, and two old queens, hanging out for cheap drinks, camaraderie amongst themselves, and a grope in the shadows if they were lucky. Hey, hey. Welcome. You're not from around here, are you? I heard Anders first before I saw him and felt the hair on his arm touching the back of my hand before I could make out his face. My eyes were watering from the blistering cold of the bike ride and still adjusting to the dark of the sauna. He came from behind me with a large towel and a pair of flip-flops in his hand. Hey, hey, no, no, I'm not from around here, I replied. I'm from New York City, but I've been working over on Halverson Bio Farm. Do you know it? No, can't say I do know it. Not much into the bio stuff myself. Costs too much. And for what? Same vitamins in the food anyway, he laughed. I'm Anders. Welcome to Tropic Sauna. Here is a towel. And by looking at you, I think these size 44 sandals should do it. We've got a darkroom area right in front here. And over there, a small finished sauna in the rear. Toilets and shower next to there. And one bedroom area in the back with a few mattress pads. Or a small place. Probably not what you're used to in New York City. Wow. You really come from New York. Don't get much New Yorkers in Bergen. Yeah, well, I've wondered what in the hell I'm doing here a lot lately, actually. Can't really tell you what I'm doing here either, I lamented. There actually aren't any more bathhouses in New York City, by the way, I said. Anders looked puzzled, his thick blonde eyebrows raised. No bathhouses? Why is that? he asked. The AIDS crisis. The government shut them all down in the 90s, you know. 
They were seen as breeding grounds for the disease. I mean, I was a baby during all of that, but that's what happened, essentially. Something I had said hadn't set well with Anders, and now he had a worried look on his face. You can change right here. No locker room. You go ahead and I pack your things in a bag here, and we keep it in a cubby. Okay, thanks. Oh, and Anders, excuse me, but I didn't see online when I was looking you up. What time does the sauna close? I asked. Well, it's Friday night, so we'll be open 24 hours all weekend till Sunday evening. You can stay as long as you like, but in eight hours you'll need to pay a re-entry fee, and at 12 noon we do coffee and sandwiches. I won't be here, but Fritjof will take care of you. 24 hours was exactly what I needed to hear. 24 hours away from Lorna, away from Mara, and fucking Bjarna. Little Samson would come in the morning looking for me to play sticks, and I wouldn't be there. Sorry, Mora. You won't get the pleasure of scolding me tomorrow for not bringing my bed linens down into the washroom. No, you won't get to lash out at me again. It won't be my fault that your psychotic Ram Dass wannabe husband is a closet case fiending for black dick. You'll have to bounce that little confession around your empty skull all by yourself. Unless you decide to confide in your brand new sister Lorna. But oops, she won't like the sound of that, since she's in love with your husband herself. Oh, but, but you don't know that yet. Or at least you pretend not to know it. And then Lorna, your brand new sister, your confidant. Holy fuck, poor Lorna is pregnant with an evil gay man's baby. And, well, you've got to save her. Save her from the evil gay man seeking to destroy you all. I can't believe Lorna had done this. I can't believe I had left New York City for this. I can't believe I agreed to come to this fucking country on a one-way ticket. New York City, late September. So back when I was in New York City, before coming to Bergen, I had my asshole bleached for the first time. And while I won't go into detail about that experience, when I left the dermatologist's office with, as the skincare staff so lovingly called, a new ringtone, I got off the lobby elevator and to the immediate left of me noticed a heavy gray door that I hadn't seen when I'd walked into the building off the street. Paint chipped around the thick silver knob, then above, smack in the middle, were the words... Manhattan Indoor Garden and Permaculture Club, on a dirty placard. I looked over to the security guard, who was reading the New York Post. Excuse me, sir. What kind of business is this? I asked. You know, I only been back there once or twice, but I believe they farmers market folks. They grow vegetables and all kind of stuff under those bright lights. The shit looked like a sci-fi movie to me, to be honest. Lorna. What an omen, I thought. I was just upstairs trembling on all fours as a tall 5'11 woman named Diane scorched the inside of my butt cheeks, while down below, organic produce was growing in a basement greenhouse. Oh, Bergen. Oh, Lorna. Here I come. I texted Stephen when I got to Whole Foods. So... Did you, like, want to make your asshole go from brown to pink, he asked. For me, it was less about trying to get a pink hole and more about the side corners darkening with age. Like, 
Everyone on my dad's side as they age gets dark circles on their knees and elbows, and I just want my inner ass cheeks to be the same color as my arms and legs and lower back, actually, which is closer to that area anyway, I texted. Okay, so you're not like going full Sammy Sosa. You're not going to end up as clickbait on Jezebel or Huffington Post black voices for whitening your asshole to little Kim proportions. No, I'm not like internalizing racism. This isn't about having to digest only white gay porn as a preteen or being fed only a white male heteronormative idea of same-sex beauty standards for most of your little faggot childhood. I'm not like trying to get a Sean Cody rosy pink cupcake butthole. Or was I? Oh God, Stephen, I'm meeting Lorna here in 20 minutes. I've been avoiding this talk, I texted. You both are so extremely messy. I can't figure out who's more desperate in this situation, he wrote. I haven't completely not talked to her. I've just been writing back on email and text. No phone. Well, no phone after the initial freak-out clinic conversation. Oh my God. I keep forgetting you're going to Norway with her to, like, milk cows. The life of the unemployed. Slash... Not to be nosy, but do you really think it's responsible financially for you to be going to Norway? Stephen, she bought the ticket. I've been on four interviews in the last month and no job. So I don't think going to Norway where I'll get free food and a place to stay is that bad. I found a subletter for my room this past weekend. Some gay high school senior checking out NYU. Okay, you know what? You're stressing me out now. I'm done texting with you. TTYL, love you, chica. You're my bro. Kisses. I put my phone on airplane mode. Fucking Steven. I text him wanting to talk about my new bleached asshole, and I end up biting my nails outside of Whole Foods because I'm about to go to one of the most expensive countries in the world, and my unemployment benefits run out in two weeks. I had started tricking, just a little bit, within the last month, but only because I knew I was going on this trip. I did have some money saved, but I've never been good with money. I'm one of those impulsive yet rational thinkers. I'd lost my job. That I hated, by the way. It's important to note that I did hate this job, folding t-shirts at this stupid boutique for stupid men who wear stupid raw denim jeans. I'd been on so many fucking auditions. But I had not been cast in another theater production for almost 11 months since Othello. Yes, I was the lead. I was Othello, the great Othello of the world-renowned Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. Times were hard, sister, and I currently was shit on my luck. In my mind, I thought, if I'm going to be tricking again between gigs... Even if it's short time, I should probably bleach my asshole. I mean, I am 31. But now, there was this situation with Lorna. Holy fuck, Lorna. Lorna Nielsen is my best friend. Well, my best female friend. Not a childhood best friend, but someone you meet in adulthood and then literally can't live without, as if she had been there when you first acquired pubic hair. Lorna Nielsen and I met 
on an audition for the national touring production of Cabaret. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. Fred Mir, étranger, stranger. Glücklich zu sehen, je suis enchanté. Happy to see you, bleibe resta stay. Welcome and bienvenue, welcome. I'm cabaret to cabaret, oh cabaret. After the audition, the both of us remained in the auditorium lobby using the Wi-Fi. Excuse me. I'm sorry to bother you. Really. Excuse me. Yeah, um, are you on the theater Wi-Fi network? She called out. A curvy, gray-eyed blonde. Hair just past her small shoulders. Her torso covered in an oversized black fleece that read, Helly Hansen. You got me. I totally am. Do you need the password? It's so funny because where I'm sitting over here, I actually was using Starbucks as Wi-Fi but it keeps going in and out. I honestly can't even believe it reached all the way in here, she laughed. The password is Olympian2015, I said. Oh, that's so easy. Why didn't I guess that, she replied. A Wi-Fi password for a public institution is always like the name of the place with a 123, or the year, or the previous year. And it's like since AT&T wants to steal my soul and every penny I've got, I've learned to hang around these fucking auditions and get something for free. Am I right? I joked. We both sighed simultaneously. I'm Lorna, she said smiling warmly, looking deeply into my eyes. If I hadn't already assumed she knew I was gay, I would have thought this was a flirtation. I'm Calvin, Calvin Waterhouse. You know, I think I could actually go for some coffee right now. I'm a little drained after that choreo routine. Would you want to join me? I know, right? If I did yoga, I'd go to yoga right now. But I've never gotten into it, she laughed. Sure, I could go for some coffee. Let me just read a few emails here, and then I'm down to join you. I don't think we're going to get table space right now at Starby's anyway. And that's how I met my best friend Lorna Nielsen. Now fast forward to this current situation with Lorna. Holy fuck, Lorna. I'm HIV positive. We could go deeper into that, but I'm not. It's in the past, and I'm alive and healthy. I'm undetectable. I'm a 31-year-old HIV positive black gay man living in New York City. I'm not rare or special. So anyway, months before I lost my job, Lorna quit her job because... She was, as she put it, tired of being someone else's lapdog. I went to college for four years. I went to fucking Juilliard, Calvin. And to have these bitches, and you know I hate calling other women that, but to have these fucking bitches from Long Island who don't even know how to dress, pulling me aside, telling me that business casual is not acceptable here, and that as a secretary at Layman and Scarucci Interiors, I'm the first face potential client see when coming through that door, and the way I dress needs to be on brand with the caliber of interior design taking place under this roof. 
You're telling me I need to wear heels, Calvin. That's what this is about. They're fucking pigs. Like, you would think this was fucking madmen. The way these bitches are talking to me. And you know I hate calling other women that. I need purpose, Calvin. I'm not even auditioning anymore since I've had this job. I'm too fat to be auditioning for anything anyway. I used to dream of coming to the city and making it. I dreamed about attending Juilliard. And what am I, Calvin? Where I'm from in the Midwest, I was considered a good actress, Calvin. What have I really done since college but blend in, in this unforgiving city, and dream broken dreams? I need a new dream, Calvin. I need something brand new to feel. I'm so tired of feeling tired and unhappy. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to make a change. Well, Lorna did make a change. And I'm not bitter. But Lorna made a change because Lorna's got Mommy and Daddy Nielsen's Minnesota money to make a change. She quit her secretary job because she could afford to quit that job and never actually needed that job. But, you know, even super rich people have to put up the facade of being a regular member of society. And Lorna Nielsen began to do other things with her newfound freedom. Lorna went full eat, pray, love and started going to Bikram yoga classes in Brooklyn, always coming over to my apartment afterwards and leaving sweat stains on my couch. Lorna started taking $120 private ceramic lessons from a white woman named Alice Redbird Moonsong, recanting to me about how Alice tells me my work in theater can totally be channeled into pottery. I can direct the clay with the same kind of creative dynamic force. Lorna began drinking organic green tea matcha, and all of a sudden, the word energy became an overused noun in her vocabulary. And then came the fateful day that Lorna Nielsen convinced me to join her for two months working on an organic permaculture farm in Norway. Perma? Culture, Calvin. It's a philosophy of working with nature rather than against nature. You look at how nature works naturally between plants and animals and ecosystems, and you work within those functions. The three core tenets of permaculture are care for the earth, provision for all life systems to continue and multiply. This is the first principle, because Without a healthy earth, humans cannot flourish. Care for the people. Provision for people to access those resources necessary for their existence. Setting limits to population and consumption. By governing our own needs, we can set resources aside to further the above principles. This includes returning waste back into the system to recycle into usefulness. The third ethic is sometimes referred to as fair share, which reflects that each of us should take no more than what we need before we reinvest the surplus. Lorna, you sound like you've just gotten all of this off of Wikipedia, I said. Yeah, because Wikipedia exists so people can learn things, Calvin. One of the guys from my yoga class told me last summer he went woofing, which is the name of the program. It's a website where all over the world, organic farmers are looking for people interested in organic farming to come and work and learn, and you get fed, and there's always housing or rooms on site, and it just seems like the coolest thing, Calvin. I mean, we've been talking about leaving New York City 
I know this sounds nuts, but maybe it's just what you and I need to get away from here, to get some fresh air. Think about it. I'd buy your plane ticket. You don't have a job. I quit my job. And I can't think of anyone else I'd want to do this with. I know this kind of thing is out of your comfort zone, but what's being comfortable really gotten us so far? Jack shit. Say yes, Calvin. I'll buy your ticket. So I said yes, Lorna. I'll come with you to Norway. I mean, I truly don't have shit going on here right now. But we still haven't gotten to the holy fuck, Lorna, situation. Lorna and I had gotten invited to a house party in Brooklyn by one of her new yoga buddies, whose name I honestly can't remember, so let's call him Granola Bro. My roommates just got back from Burning Man two days ago, and it's like, after all that community and togetherness out there, they're down to share whatever they got left with the homies. It's gonna be super fun. You realize he's talking about drugs. The whatever-they-got-left part, I said. Calvin, I went to a fish concert once in Minneapolis. I know what he's talking about. It's not gonna be cocaine and cosmopolitans, Lorna. I don't know if I take you for a mushrooms and molly kind of girl. Cocaine and cosmopolitans? Calvin, please don't stereotype me into every white girl in the last ten years who's moved to New York City chasing Sarah Jessica Parker's coattails. I'm like more down than you are, brother man. I'm chiller than you are, my brother Calvin. Hey, hey, watch that. If another black person heard you say that besides me, they think you're a racist. Oh my God, Calvin. You don't know every single detail of, like, my entire existence. I've taken acid before. I've tripped balls before. Lorna, you've never fucking tripped balls. Please, I laughed. We're going, she said, as she grabbed my hand, escorting me down the subway ramp. Lorna and I went to Granola Bros' party. Lorna and I took acid. Lorna and I left Granola Bros' party with Lorna stealing an expensive conditioner she swore. Sienna Miller swears by this. Lorna and I got on the subway attempting to break dance. Lorna and I got booed off the subway by teenagers because our breakdancing attempts were fucking whack, busters. Lorna and I stumbled into Times Square, laughing our asses off and staring at all the shiny, pretty lights and all the shiny, ugly tourists. Lorna and I went back to my apartment to watch our favorite musical, Bob Fosse's Sweet Charity, starring Shirley MacLaine. And as a young, bright, red-headed Shirley MacLaine tap-danced circles on my ceiling, Lorna Nielsen, my best friend and I, we had sex. We fucked. Lorna and me had sex. And during sex, the condom broke. The condom broke and I have HIV. I have HIV. I'm healthy. I'm undetectable. But the condom broke. Holy fuck, Lorna. Holy fuck. I saw her first, out of the corner of my eye. But she hadn't seen me yet. Standing there, sulking in front of the main entrance to Whole Foods. She had on that light yellow dress that for some reason always made her think she looked like Sienna Miller's character.
and Alfie. I stood nervously as Lorna zeroed in on her target. Me. She skipped any awkward greetings and immediately tore into me. We can't even meet at a proper restaurant, Calvin. You don't speak to me for almost two weeks, and then when you finally respond to my phone calls, we're meeting at Whole Foods? I bowed my head, my eyes focusing narrowly on Lorna's Mary Jane flats. Lorna, that, that's not entirely true. I responded to every single email you wrote. I replied to every single text. Calvin, she cut me off. Calvin, that is so, so not okay. We're supposed to be best friends. Calvin, I love you. You are my best friend. I know this has been very not fun and very weird for you, but I am okay. And it's just, I know why you felt so immobilized, but we can really talk about this and heal. And we're leaving for Bergen in five days. You should have really picked up your phone. You should be hanging out with me like normal. Talking to me in the clinic was good. It was what a friend would do, but I'm not just a friend, Calvin. I'm supposed to be your best friend. I love you, Calvin, and you just haven't showed me that same kind of love in this. Lorna, I'm sorry, I said, my voice beginning to crack. I'm just so sorry. But see, this guilt, this guilt thing you're doing, you don't have to do it, Calvin. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the straight girl who's going to put all of this on the gay guy. And it hurts me you feel that way. Calvin, that's all I'm trying to say. Don't feel guilty. I'm an adult. I knew what we were doing. I'm the one who initiated it. Lorna looked deeply into my eyes, cracking a half-smile. She wanted me to feel better. She wanted me not to worry. And I know she didn't want me to feel stigmatized. I'm on prep. I'm like the only woman I know on prep. That shows you how much of a fat hag I am. This is not going to be a thing, Calvin. Come on. The Center for Disease Control literally just made it public info. If you're undetectable, which you are, and if you're on HIV medication, which you are, you can't transmit HIV. It's like a known thing now. You can't give me HIV. And I've been tested. She grabbed both of my shoulders, rubbing my collarbone. You're making me whisper like a spy in front of fucking Whole Foods. I had begun to cry, my tears making droplets on the sidewalk, my body tight and rigid, holding the floodgates in. I'm so sorry, Lorna, I mumbled. This has been so intense for me, thinking maybe, what if the test is wrong, or you took it too soon, or... Calvin, she wiped my cheek. I don't have HIV. I am fine. We are fine. Let's go inside. Buy me some sushi and a coconut water. Let's actually talk. Let's talk. Okay, I muttered, lifting my face. I was beginning to feel more at ease. The floodgates withheld. Lorna pinched me playfully by the ear, and we walked inside the grocery store. And if for some reason you thought this meant you weren't coming to Bergen? We're going to Bergen, Calvin. It's a non-refundable ticket. I smiled nervously and paused. Lorna, 
Lorna, as fucked up as this has been, as fucked up as I've been, I would never. I grabbed her by the hand, and I sincerely meant it. Bergen, Norway. October. Halverson Biodynamic Farm was not in Bergen, Norway. Halverson Biodynamic Farm was about 20 kilometers away from central Bergen. A large, dark brown farmhouse with a yellow door and grass-covered roof that existed quaintly among green thicket and tranquil marshland. On the right side of the main farmhouse was a guest house, and on the left side sat adjacent two barns, one with a cow stable, while large white bales of packaged hay were littered all around the front yard. What are those white things? said Calvin, pulling his suitcase inside the guest house. Those are hay bales. It's one of the things around here that needs organizing. They shouldn't be scattered all around like that. But, you know, when it's just me and Mars with the baby, I can't do everything in a day, said Bjarna, lifting Lorna's luggage from the trunk. It's more beautiful here than even in the photos you all posted online, called out Lorna, wrestling with her backpack. Oh, Bjarna, you don't have to grab my luggage. I already feel like I've packed too much, but does the climate really change as much as they say? No, you did good. It's cloudy mostly, but it can rain multiple times a day. We're on the west coast. Not gonna be snow, but it's wet here. Good for the plants. Good for growing, but you've done good if you've got rain-resistant stuff. I see you both got boots. Glad that wasn't an oversight, replied Bjarna. Mora's inside? asked Lorna, setting her backpack on the wooden bench right next to the main door of the guest house. It's what, five o'clock? I'm pretty sure she's bathing Samson, or she would have met us at the door. Here, why don't you all come in the main house? We've got kombucha, coffee, water, mead, if you know what that is, laughed Bjarna. Bjarna Halverson was 33 years old, the grandchild of Berg Halverson and the son of Elgar Halverson, a farming family with a long history of working in the timber industry, Elgar Halverson was the youngest son of Berg and the first not to join his father in the sawmills, but rather to study at university. Being raised in the rural west coast of Norway in the 1970s, there wasn't much money at all. The country had just begun exploiting the oil reserves in the North Sea, and for many, life still went on according to the old ways. But Berg was no ignorant farmer and saw with the changes happening all around that he ought to invest in his youngest child receiving a higher education. Elgar attended and graduated from the University of Oslo, quickly acquiring an internship and eventually an administrative position at Norsk Hydro ASA, one of the largest aluminum and renewable energy companies in Norway. In the late 1980s, Norsk Hydro created a partnership with Sierra Aluminum, a U.S.-California-based renewable energy company, and Elgar Halverson was transferred to the city of San Diego, California, to begin administrative work there in a management exchange program. It was here in the city of San Diego that Elgar Halverson would meet and marry his wife, Shelly Ann, and father his two children, Bjarne and Madeline, living in the United States for 13 years before returning to live permanently in Norway relocating the family to the smaller city of Bergen rather than Oslo. Okay, so no one said anything on the ride over from the airport, 
but I bet you're wondering why my accent is so weird. I don't sound like most Norwegians. Do you know why that is? No? No? Come on, drum roll. Because, because I was raised in California, in San Diego, till I was 10. Bjarne reached in the cupboard, pulling out three large clay cups. We're mug people around here. I don't know how, but Mara and I have more mugs than anything else. Shows you how refined we are, laughed Bjarne. So you're American, asked Calvin. I, I mean, you're half American. You know what Nickelodeon was and Pop-Tarts and Velveeta. I would say the asshole part of me was formed in America, laughed Bjarne. Maybe the cool part. I mean, Norwegians are cool, too. It's just, there wasn't so much skateboarding in Bergen when we came back. I did miss that. That's so wild. You were born in America, said Lorna. I mean, I guess it's not so crazy. People move. I mean, I was born in Montana, but raised in Minnesota. But really only born in Montana because my parents were driving through and my mom's water broke. Maybe that's... Not the same scenario, chuckled Lorna. Bjarne was handsome. He was tall, about 192, with lean muscles, deep green eyes, and long, chunky, blonde dreadlocks that he wore tied together in a bundle on top of his head. A light beard graced his face, and his teeth, while a bit crooked, were pearlescent. Both Lorna and Calvin were awestruck, watching his every movement. I'm the black sheep of my family, you know. And it's funny, because my dad grew up on this farm. He lived on this farm when people around here didn't even have refrigerators. And he can't fathom why I'd want to be a farmer. He totally understands wanting to live more sustainably and eco-friendly. He's not an asshole, but he is a suit. And I guess he genuinely, for whatever reason, thought he'd raise me to be a suit too. Say, it's 5.30. Not too early for some meat. Ever try mead, you two? You know what mead is? Bjarne had a mischievous grin on his face. No, nodded Lorna and Calvin simultaneously. Mead is booze, made from honey. Poetic mead, honey booze, bee piss. Bjarne called out in a booming voice, changing his tone for dramatic effect and reaching into a large covered trunk next to the kitchen stove. You ferment the honey with water, yeast, I've been doing it for years now. It's good stuff. Here, try it. It'll be our first toast you come into the farm. Here, hold out your glasses. Just as Bjarne began pouring the sugary liquid from a glass gallon, a young woman appeared in the kitchen silently. Standing behind Lorna and Calvin, she looked intensely at Calvin, searching him up and down with her eyes, and then too at Lorna before speaking. Bjarne! I've just put Samson down. Don't yell. Lorna and Calvin turned around. Neither of them had even sensed her presence behind them. Oh, wow. You're finally here. You have to be Lorna, said Mara, a big grin on her face. It's so nice to finally meet you. Do you hug? Can we hug? Oh, well, yeah, totally, said Lorna, standing up to hug Mara. And you're Calvin, said Mara, holding her hand out. Well, since that's Lorna, I have to be, huh? And yes, I do hug. Calvin stood up and hugged Mara, Lorna giving him a cutting glance. My husband is getting you drunk this early, I see, said Mara, circling around the table to the stovetop. If you don't want that stuff, I'm making some hibiscus tea. 
Oh, I'd love some, replied Lorna. Nope, not until you've had your mead, said Bjarna, and filled up the two clay cups he'd given Calvin and Lorna upon arrival. Filling up his own, he cried out, All right, shall we toast? Let's toast, Calvin called out uneasily. The sound of fermented honey, yeast, and water didn't sit well with him, but it was better to agree and smooth things over than say no and start this shit show off on the wrong foot, he thought. To Lorna and Calvin our guests, and the newest members of Halverson Biodynamic Farm, I see a bright future together. I hope we both can learn from each other, teach each other, break bread and enjoy each other. Cheers! Cheers! they all called out. Bjarna, Lorna, and Calvin bumping glasses while Mara looked on. So, uh, 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 when do, uh, the other guests arrive? asked Calvin. What other guests? You're it! laughed Bjarna, gulping down the meat and pouring another glass. We're it? I, I thought in the wolf program the farms hosted multiple guests from around the world, asked Calvin, making sure the tone of his questioning still seemed pleasant. Well, sure, some farms are big enough for that, but, but we've just got our home here and the guest house, and that can only sleep four, two to a room. But Lorna's known you'd be the only guest this fall. You're our first guest, after all. Of course, I, I totally knew that we were your first guests. It's what made it all seem so exciting, said Lorna nervously, avoiding Calvin's eyes. You haven't even seen the rooms yet, just the front little living room I rushed you out so quick. Here, let's walk back and I'll show you. The lot where the guest house is built was a Viking graveyard. Don't be surprised if you wake up in the middle of the night and see a few dead white guys swinging axes, beyond a motion to Calvin. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're kidding, yeah, said Calvin rolling his eyes nervously. Of course, man, laughed Bjarna, Lorna laughing with him, and Mara once more giving Lorna an intense once-over with her eyes. The three walked out of the house, Mara sitting down to drink her tea at the kitchen table. She hadn't told us her friend was black, thought Mara, thinking about Lorna's letter replying to her and Bjarna's request for help through the Wolf Network. Not that it mattered, of course, but it was a surprise. Sure, there had been black kids in school, but not in any of Mara's classes. She had rode the metro many times with black people. She even worked with a black girl for two summers at Rima 1000 as a cashier, but, but there had never been a black person in her mother's home, and she had never quite had a, a full, meaningful conversation with a black person, but no judgments. Mara knew all too well what it felt like to be judged. This would just be a, a very new experience, living with the black person, she thought. And Bjarna was there. There would be nothing to worry about. Lorna was pretty, she thought, much prettier than in the photos she had sent. Such a nice figure, such pretty breasts, and a small waist, a waist Mora used to have that she couldn't seem to get back after Samson's birth. They seemed like fun people, Hopefully not too much fun, as there was work that needed to be done. But it would be so nice to have another woman around, especially if she were the kind of woman that Mora could feel comfortable around. I mean, this was her home. Lorna was her guest. It wouldn't be like how things were in Bergen, with everyone knowing everyone, and everyone knowing all about her. No. She wouldn't judge Lorna, and she wouldn't judge Calvin. Bjarna wanted them there. And that was important. 
It was important that Bjarne was happy. He was much better to everyone happy. And if there was ever a strange feeling, they could be asked to leave. Maura Halverson was 30 years old. She had given birth to her son Samson Halverson at the age of 26, and she had been married to Bjarne Halverson from the age of 20. Maura Halverson was born in Hagesund, Norway, but had moved to Bergen with her mother when she was quite young. Maura had only ever known life with her mother, a very beautiful, loving woman, but often prone to manic bouts of depression, which left Maura taking on early responsibilities as a very small child. Her mother's beauty was quite commented on by men. This was something Maura had always noticed, but her mother never took a boyfriend, not that she knew of. Romantic love was something very distant in their home. Maura's mother worked as a grocery store manager of Arima 1000 and had held that job for most of Maura's life. All that Maura knew of her father was that he had been Danish, he had been a musician, and that he had died in Hagesund of a heroin overdose. This had been painful for Maura's mother to disclose, but it was something she felt necessary to be truthful about with her daughter as a preventative measure that she might ought never try and use drugs herself. My beloved, they wouldn't care to see us. I love you. You have me, and that's all we need. This was always, and would forever always be the answer about Maura's grandparents. No grandma or grandpa, nor an aunt or an uncle, and it wasn't until she was fifteen that Mara herself found out her mother was actually Danish. There had been Linda, mother's best friend, who had lived with them for a few short years while Mara was a preteen. Linda had come like a fairy godmother, fixing everything that had been wrong in their home. From age seven, Mara had always cooked for herself, every meal a sandwich. Sure, there was food in the house, but Mother would come home from work, give Mara a hug and a kiss, take her medicine, and sleep the afternoon until the morning when it was time for school. Noticing her homework was never done, Mora's teachers would keep her after school to help her complete assignments. One day Linda appeared, and Mother didn't need her medicine anymore, and Mother said Linda would be their guest. Linda was tall the tallest woman Moore had ever known, with short-cropped hair like a boy's and large feet like a boy's, too. Dresses always fit awkwardly on Linda, and Mother was always altering something from a second-hand store to fit her. Linda made Mother happy, and Moore didn't worry anymore. Linda worked nights as a hotel receptionist and cared for Moore dearly the years she lived in their home, and Moore loved her. Then one evening, there had been an argument between Mother and Linda, and two days later, Linda was gone. Silence. Silence had always been Mother's weapon. You could ask Mother a question about anything. Her family, her past, Morris' father, Linda, and she simply wouldn't answer, and would continue never answering if you ever brought up the questions again.
So you've just heard the first excerpt uh, from uh, my my written work, my original written work, Calvin, Lorna, Mora, and Bjarna, and um, and you're probably left with many questions. <laughs> and if you wanted to just know a clue or two or three or five <laughs> about uh, what's what's to come, uh, without giving too much away, I'll say that. I'll say that Calvin and Lorna experience uh, a surprise situation while they're on the farm, and we kind of learn more about the kind of people that Bjarna and Mora are, and we we, we learn that Bjarna is somewhat of a manipulator, someone who plays into the weaknesses of others once he finds out what they are. Um, And, uh, yeah, and then... uh, I would say uh, a triangle of sorts, um, <laughs> a triangle of sorts uh, de-evolves, you know, everyone into their most base, the most base nature. But it's it's just interesting because it's like, you know, uh, I don't think the story ever takes on a sadistic tone. I think that really what you have is four people who, you know, I've all possibly experienced some sort of a trauma and, you know, they're, they're really looking, I mean, everyone actually is looking for security and, and some kind of sense of like wholeness, but it's, it's kind of like, what, what do you do when, when you take, you know, a couple of lost people and then put them, you know, in a household or in an environment when, where someone is extremely self-assured, it's like someone has to kind of step up and be the leader, even if that leader ends up being extremely manipulative. I mean, this is how cults are formed. Um, and I think that the story definitely takes on a, a, a culty aspect. But but yeah, I won't I won't I won't give away too many details. But yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see where the story takes me. Uh, and I just know that it's something that definitely I, I don't think I could have written had I not had the time and just kind of all the creative uh, creative space around a residency.